You're going to open this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll be there the whole time today as we continue in our new series. So I hope you're excited to be in God's word together. I think that I can take you to the exact place that I was standing when I first got the news that I was going to be a father. A great day in my life. I was standing in the middle of the living room of a cabin that my parents owned in central Oregon, and I was looking down the hallway towards a bathroom, and the door was closed, and there were a group of women outside of that bathroom waiting nervously. These women were my wife's very best friends. Many of them were bridesmaids in our wedding. And we were away for the weekend with a bunch, all of their husbands who were a bunch of my best friends. And we had gone away to have a weekend away, which is a weird time to take a pregnancy test, but there we were. So I'm standing in the living room and all the women are down the hall and all the men are standing behind me nervously watching. And then one of my friends had his hand on my shoulder as if to say, it's going to be okay, brother. It's going to be all right. We got your back. And I looked down the hall and suddenly the door opened. And as my wife came out of the bathroom, she was pounced on by all of her friends. And they were grabbing at some object that I couldn't see and talking nervously and debating. And there was a flurry. I could no longer see Kathy. And suddenly silence And one of Kathy's best friends, Amy Wright, stepped forward and she held up a little plastic stick. (laughs) And she looked at me and said, there's two lines. And my heart jumped out of my chest, right? And I knew my life will never be the same. And it was that strange combination of joy and absolute panic, right? All at once. That news set my life on a completely different trajectory. Isn't it interesting how news can do that sometimes? And when it's good news, oh man, and when it's big news, it just sets you off in a great direction. But you know what? Bad news can impact your life like that too. I remember walking into a restaurant in Eugene back in my younger days. I I walked in there to meet a group of high school guys to have breakfast and, and as I walked into the, to the, did I say the restroom? I meant restaurant. Did I say restaurant? Okay. It was a restaurant where I was having breakfast with a group of guys. Let's just clarify. I walked in there and as I walked into this restaurant, a crowd had gathered in the lobby and they were all looking up at a TV screen. And I walked in in there on Tuesday morning, September 11th, 2001. At 6.04 a.m., and I walked in, and just as I looked up, the second plane hit the tower. And I knew right away, my life will never be the same. Our country will never be the same. My wife called me moments later, and she was like, have you heard the news? And I said, I I just saw it. And she said, I think you should come home, because we knew things will never be the same. News can have that effect, can it? Sometimes it's bad news. You've you've received bad news in your life, and I know it changes the trajectory of your life. 
Sometimes you receive great news, amazing news, the best news possible, and those are the good times. Those are the times that get seared in your memory and you never forget them. Can you remember a time when you just received the best news ever and it just changes your life? Did you know that the entire fabric of the Christian faith and truth is built around a word of news, good news, like the very best news. In fact, it's news that's so good that every Christian would say, the moment that I heard the the good news about Jesus, that changed my life more than any news I've ever heard, ever heard. It's that news that we're going to talk about this morning. The good news of the gospel, the Christian good news about Jesus Christ and what he came to do to save people from sin. And here's what we're going to discover this morning as we study Paul's text. We're going to learn that the gospel is not just news for unbelievers. It's not just news that you hear once and it changes you and then you move on to deeper things. The gospel is news that a Christian needs to hear every day of their lives and every time a Christian hears that news, it changes them. That's how powerful the gospel is. We're going to look at a text where Paul's going to, he's going to say, the good news is like the nuclear core of Christianity. It holds Christianity together. It's the power source. Paul will say, it is of first importance. Will you look at it with me? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5. Paul said, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, underline that phrase in your Bible, I delivered to you as of first importance What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. Amazing passage. Paul, did you notice when Paul talks about the gospel, he says, what I'm talking about is of first importance. It's the most important thing. It gets all the priority. Paul, when he says first importance, he doesn't mean it's just step one in a series of steps because that would indicate that as you go deeper or further, you come to things that are more significant. So don't think a ladder. Don't think steps forward in your life. No, no, no. Paul almost seems to be using the imagery of a wheel where the gospel is at the hub. It's the power center. And every other spoke of Christian truth or Christian reality or Christian doctrine finds its strength in the gospel and finds its true meaning in the gospel. If you take the gospel out of the middle, the entire Christian system collapses. Thank you. Speak, preach it, talk back to me. Okay, if you take the gospel out of the center, everything will collapse, all the power, all the meaning, all the structure. And that's why in our list of seven words, 
the gospel is number two. I'm going to put them back up on the screen here. So we're in this series. We're calling it Living Church. And here's what we're doing. We're walking together as a church through a list of seven words. And they're, they're traits. So what we're learning together is that uh, if you want to be a part of a living church, there are these seven traits that create health in a church. If you were to study the New Testament and go from passage to passage where church health is described, you always see these seven traits that are right here in every passage. Jesus always starts with Jesus. We talked about that last week. Jesus is our focus. If you miss that sermon, you'll want to go back and listen. Jesus is our focus, but the gospel is a really close second because the gospel we're going to learn today is that truth system that helps us understand who Jesus truly is. And every living church is building their ministry, building their teaching, building their community, building their life together around this system of truth, the gospel. A living church always understands how vital the gospel really is. And today we're going to, Paul's going to show us three truths that we've got to grasp. And I'm going to tell you right out of the the gate here, what what I'm going to break down for you, I I need you to grasp these today. So what, what I'm going to be talking about is a community project. We need to, you and I together need to grab a hold of some ideas about the gospel because if we hold them together, we'll continue to be the kind of church that Jesus is calling us to be. Here is truth number one. The gospel is an announcement from God. That might sound obvious, but I can assure you the implications are profound. So bear with me. The gospel is an announcement from God. And that means that duty number one of God's church must always be proclamation. That's who we are. That's why we exist. Because the gospel is, is a message. It's news. It's an announcement. And what do you do with an announcement? You announce it. You proclaim it. That's what you do with news. The word gospel in the Greek it means good news. It's the word euangelion. 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 That little word, the two-part word, the first part, you, means good. The second part, angelion, means news. That's where we get our word evangelical, right? Euangelion, evangelical. Evangelical is not a political description, okay? Evangelical is a, a description of a people who are good news people. Evangelicals are good news. we're, We're the people who have in our possession good news, about Jesus. And what do people who have in their possession really good news, what do they do? They proclaim it constantly. It's the only reason we exist is to proclaim the good news. And that's why Paul, right out of the gate, he says, look, now I remind you of the gospel I preached, I proclaimed. In fact, that word proclaimed is just the verbal form of gospel. So you've got the noun gospel, the gospel I gospeled is what he's saying. I'm going to tell you about the gospel I gospeled. Or you could say, it's the announcement I announced to you. That's what you do with news, is you proclaim it. 
constantly. And the good news, it's the best news. The Christian good news is an, is an announcement from the heart of God about what he's done to save a world from sin through Jesus Christ, his son. Could there be better news than that? Could there be better news? The gospel is not good advice. It's not good advice. Not that good advice is a bad thing, but the gospel is good news. Not good advice, although the Bible is filled with good advice, right? It's just that those passages where, there's, where advice is given, those are not gospel passages. So Proverbs 3, which is one of my favorite passages, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Anybody know that verse? Amazing. That's good advice. Did you know that's not the gospel message? That is, that message, trust in the Lord with all your heart, is really good advice, but it's not the heart of the biblical gospel about what Jesus has done. It's just good advice. There's all kinds of good advice in the Proverbs. Here's another proverb I love. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Proverbs 27, 14. This is good advice, and it's humorous. If you wake your friend in the early morning by shouting, rise and shine, it will sound to him more like a curse than a blessing. <laughs> I wish my father had taken that advice. <laughs> At 6 a.m., good morning, Adam. I hate my life. There's all kinds of good advice in the Bible, but none of those passages are the gospel. And, and we have to keep the, we have to understand the difference because good advice is something you have to do. But the gospel is something that God has done for us. And that is essential. The gospel is not a command. Did you know this? It's not a command. There are lots of commands in the Bible. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. An amazing command, incredibly important. Did you know that many people believe that's the most important message in the Bible? It's not. It's great. It's an, it's an important command. It is not the most important thing in the Bible because it's a command, and the gospel is not a command. The gospel is news. And River, you're probably thinking, what is he driving this for? Do you realize this, what I'm talking about, is the difference between a church that preaches works-based religion versus a church that preaches grace-based salvation. That is different. And the church has to understand not just the preacher, not just the community group leader, every single member of the congregation needs to understand the difference between gospel truth, gospel announcement, and really wise advice or commands, which never get mingled when we're preaching Christ. The church that loses its understanding of the gospel is the church that begins to lose its identity and enter into what I call mission drift. Have you ever heard that phrase, mission drift? Some people have written books. All, mission drift is just describing how over time an organization can slowly begin to creep away from its original purpose and design, and suddenly that, that institution or that church becomes completely impotent, and they're no longer effective because they've stopped 
doing what they're fundamentally designed to do, which is proclaim the good news about Jesus. So important. I've, I've been on websites of churches where basically the, it's, it's a form of mission drift. It's a church that's basically like, it's a church that's gathered around giving each other good advice. It's like a big self-help group, right? The church is a self-help group, is not the church. Although it's really good to give each other help. But a self-help church is the kind of church where they come together and everything's about giving each other good advice and the pastor's up there and he's a self-help guru and his sermons are like the four keys to a happy home life. It's really good advice. That's not the gospel. Or the seven habits of highly effective believers. And that's the whole sermon, right? That's all great. That's good advice. That's not the gospel. The gospel is news. The church is not a self-help group. The church is not a social club where people gather to be around others who look like them and think like them and vote like them and it becomes an echo chamber and it's just a social group. That's not the church. The church is a, it's a community of proclamation. We've been given this incredible treasure, the gospel truth, and what do you do with gospel truth? You proclaim it, and that's what we do as a community. And River West, here is the amazing thing about this. We can't do this without you. You are a part of this community. Our church is a community, but it's a community made up of individuals. And the effectiveness of our proclamation will always be directly impacted by the effectiveness of your individual proclamation of gospel truth. So duty number one in your life is to be a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus. Now, don't panic. You look nervous, but don't panic. Don't worry, okay? This is actually more joyful than you probably could ever imagine. Can I, can I tell you one thing that you could do to be a regular proclaimer of the good news of Jesus? This is going to sound so strange to you. You know, the number one thing that you can do is simply invite people to church. Did you know that? Invite people to church. They've done all these studies where they've asked unbelievers, why do you come to a church? Why do you visit a church? No one ever said, because the coffee's great. We have pretty good coffee. No one's ever said the webpage was so compelling, man. I just was blown away by their webpage. I was blown away by the music. I was, they, they, you know why people come to church? Because someone invites them. That's the number one reason. I walked into a Starbucks a couple months ago and I was ordering my coffee and the barista was kind of new. She'd been there a couple weeks and she had seen me come in. So finally she was like, she was making small talk with me. And she said, so tell me, what do you do? Now this is always the moment where I'm inclined to lie about my profession. (laughs) I'm like, I'm a self-help guru. That's what I do. No, no, I want to lie. Because I've learned to lie in those things. But anyway, I, I, I was like, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. And I was like, it's a little bit. And she kind of, she stood back a little bit and she was like, really? That's so interesting. Tell me about your church. So I told her a little bit about it. She was like, wow. And then I took a really deep breath and I, went, and I, I was like, do you want to come for a visit? And she said, Sure. And she came the very next Sunday for the first time in her life, came to church. Yeah. Proclaimers. 
Sometimes you share your faith. Absolutely. You're at work and people say, tell me the reason for your hope. And you say, Let, let's have breakfast and I'll tell you how Jesus has changed my life. Sometimes it's simply, hey, have you ever, have you ever been to church? Would you come with me? I think you would really love it. Can I take just a minute and share with you, like if I were to describe the core of my heart as a pastor and my vision, it would go like this. I want us to create the kind of community where on any given Sunday, any one of you could invite a friend to church and you would know with 100% confidence that that person would be treated with love and grace and they would enjoy themselves. Amen? Amen. I want to create that kind of community where people who are new feel so loved that all of their presuppositions and all of their prejudices are wiped away as they walk into a family where clearly we love one another and they hear a message of hopefully hope and joy and grace. I want you to have confidence to invite friends and neighbors and family And you know what will happen as we do that, River West? Our church will continue to be a living, healthy church where Jesus is proclaimed. Amen? Isn't that what we want? Okay, that's truth number one. Here is truth number two. The gospel is a word of truth from God. The gospel is an announcement. It's, It's a message. But also, it's... A, it's a word of truth, like, like a paradigm or a package of truth that always holds together. And that means that the highest privilege of the church is to guard that truth, know that truth deeply, protect it so that we can pass it along to the next generation. That's why we're here, to guard it. Paul says, hold on to it, protect it, so that it can be passed on from generation to generation so that the pure, unadulterated truth of the gospel carries on through human history, impacting lives. That is what God intended his church to be and do. Okay, so uh, I'm thinking of all of these metaphors. I've been thinking of them all week because I I wanted a way to help you get the significance of this. This is so important. So I was thinking of different ways of describing this through metaphor, and I I thought of a couple weird ones. I typically do. But anyway, I thought of uh, a picture, a a man in in a suit, and he's holding a briefcase, and the briefcase has all kinds of locks and combos on it. And that briefcase is, is um, chained to his wrist, like handcuffed. You know that? It's like the iconic image in the movies, spy movies. And that guy, is, he's, he looks important. He thinks he's important. And he's going somewhere important, right? He's going into a bank or something. And you just know that guy is going to be dead by the end of the movie or whatever. He's going down because whatever he's got in there, people want it. And they're going to have to take his arm with it and all of that. But anyway, he's got in there vital stuff. It's so vital that he's protecting it and he'd sacrifice his life for it. Or picture a security guard carrying a duffel bag and she puts it into an armored vehicle and she shuts the door and they drive away and you know there's so much treasure in there. 
or, and this might be my favorite one, picture a grandmother and she's at her cedar chest and she opens it and she pulls out a precious heirloom, like a family heirloom that's been passed down and it's wrapped delicately and she takes it and gives it to her granddaughter on her granddaughter's wedding day and says, treasure this, hold on to this, pass it along. The reason why I'm driving this is because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses language that's it's technical language. It was the language that they used in the ancient world to describe the process of handing on intact body of information from one person to another. So there's all this language of delivered and received. You'll notice now, let me read it. Look at it in your own Bible. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Paul says, I, I preached it, I preached it to you intact, and you received it, and you're holding on to it, and you're standing in it, right? In verse three, he says, for I delivered to you what of, as of first importance what I also received, delivered, received, delivered, received, and it turns into this endless, like relay race through the annals of time where the gospel is passed from one community, one body of believers to another, and it's absolutely vital. And our, the whole identity of our church centers around this purpose. It's so significant. That language, I want to show you two places where Paul uses similar language. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 15 and turn back just a couple pages to 1 Corinthians 11. And let me show you that, uh, that I'm, this is all over the New Testament this language of receiving and delivering. Paul actually uses it now in 1 Corinthians 11 to describe how he received from Jesus instructions about communion and he delivered them to the church intact. And it wasn't something Paul made up. He apparently received it from Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, and I'm looking at verse 23. Now notice, for I received from the Lord... Is a technical term. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Do you see that? And then he goes on, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And then Paul basically describes, here's what you do. Here's, here's how you take communion. Paul says, I didn't make that up. I received that from Jesus and I delivered it to you. In Galatians chapter one, verses 11, Paul says to the Galatians, I want you to know that the gospel that I preached is not man's gospel. It's not something humans made up. I actually, I didn't learn the gospel from another human. Paul says, I received the gospel directly from Jesus on the Damascus road. I received that truth and I delivered it to the churches through preaching and proclamation. And Paul says, now that has been, you've received it and now your responsibility is to guard it Paul says the church is the pillar and the buttress of truth. We hold truth, we protect it, and we pass it along. And it's so important. And it's a community project. It's a community thing. And what is it that we're transmitting? Do we know, do we know the gospel? If I came to you and I said, could you summarize the gospel? Would you be able to do it succinctly? 
Could you, could you explain this? I think the, the heart, the essence of the gospel, and you could lay out some sentences. Because Paul helps us right here, 1 Corinthians. This is now what he does. He, he gives us a gospel summary, verses three to five. And it's actually one of the most significant ones in the New Testament. I'm, I put it on the screens so that as I read this, one of the things I would like you to notice is that when Paul wrote this summary, he had it structured like very intentionally. There's like a, a visual structure to it. You can see it in the Greek. So I'll read it and you look at it. He says, here's the gospel, like in a phrase, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and to the twelve. Now, something you'll notice about that is A1 and A2 are the, are the most important phrases in this summary. So the gospel, if you take away the death of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus, that is no longer the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is dependent on that basic message. But Paul also wants to say, but that death and resurrection of Jesus is in accordance with the scriptures. The Bible was prophesying this. And then each of those phrases gets a tiny little explain, like a caveat or an an explanation. So he died for our sins and he was buried. And I want you to know that, Paul says, just in case you might be inclined to think that the death of Jesus was metaphorical, kind of a spiritual thing. No, 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 no. He actually died for sins and he went into a tomb. And when he was raised on the third day, that was not metaphorical or just kind of spiritual idea, but it didn't really happen. No, 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 no. Paul says he, he was raised on the third day and he actually appeared to people in a resurrection body. Paul says... You grab a hold of that, and you, and, you, and you guard that, and you pass that from one generation to another. Now, there are all kinds of other summaries in the New Testament I could read. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him not perish. That's a gospel summary, and there's many others. I just happen to think 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the better ones. It's one of the better ones. So, River West, we're a community that has been, we've been entrusted with the gospel. And our job, is to, our job is to hold it. Our job is to protect it. Our job is to learn it. Every single one. This is why we devote so much of our resources to learning the gospel together. So we have a gospel class and we encourage you to take it. And every time we announce the gospel class, people will say, well, I, I don't need to learn the gospel because I'm already a Christian. I already know the gospel. No, 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 no. Should I do that again? No, 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 no. <laughs> that don't stop thinking that way. I will never, I will, I will study the gospel from this day forward for the rest of my life, and I will never get to the bottom of its riches. N- not n- never. I could study the gospel for the rest of my life, and I would be like the child with his foot in the kiddie pool. And the deep end is out there still. So that's why we we say, go deep. This is a call to you personally. The church is saying, will you go deeper in your understanding of the gospel depths? Last year, I had a conversation with a guy and he was like, I wanna wanna have a 
I want to learn more theology. I need, to, I need to get deeper. I want to get past the gospel, and I want to learn more deep theology, like the really thick stuff, you know? And I probably looked very annoyed at that moment, and I was. because. And what I, what I said gently was, if you f- try to go deeper by moving beyond the gospel, I will assure you you'll end up in one place, in more shallow waters. Because you can't, you cannot go to the depths of the gospel. Will you go there? Will you take the gospel class? Will you join a community group or, or the river group and learn the gospel, embrace it, take it upon yourself? I want to be, be a person who knows the gospel so deeply. It's truth number two. The gospel is a word of truth. Here is truth number three. The gospel is God's personal injection of transforming grace into a human heart. It's personal. It's, an, it's news. The gospel's an announcement. The gospel is truth. It's a word of truth. Yes and amen. But we cannot stop there because the gospel is the way that God personally injects grace into a human heart every time that it is proclaimed, every time. We look at Paul, verses 6 to 11. I'll just read a few more verses in this. This is where Paul gets personal. He says, I'm not just going to talk about the gospel in theoretical terms. Let me tell you what it did in my life. And here's what he says in verse 6. He had been talking about Jesus' appearances to Peter and others. And he says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now look at verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I just love this because Paul says, now I'm going to tell you about grace in my life. And it, uh, what, I, what I noticed as I studied this week, I noticed a word that I'd never seen before, and it's in verse 8, and I wonder if you noticed it. It's, it's a very graphic word. I... I kind of stubbed my toe over it a little bit this week, and finally I I thought, I need to get deeper on this. It's this little word, untimely born. You see that? It's an interesting word. I wondered, why why would Paul choose that to describe himself? He's been reflecting on appearances of of the risen Lord, and he realizes, I feel like I am a secondhand kind of an apostle. Because Peter got to see the risen Lord before the ascension, James got to see him before the ascension. 500 others got to see him. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. And then old Paul comes along, you know. I feel like I entered the game a little late. And I kind of feel like I'm a secondhand apostle here. I feel like I'm kind of like the red-headed stepchild of apostles or something, you know. And he uses this word to describe it that's really, it's actually quite, like sad, this word untimely born. 
the word, what it means is, it's one word and it describes a baby who is born at the, at the wrong time resulting in a stillbirth. So it's like really sort of morose and sad. There's a, there's a grief to this word. And you hear it and you go, Paul, why would you pick such a, such a, a graphic, morose, sad, grievous word? And I think Paul said, I was looking for a way to describe how I feel about my life before Jesus got a hold of me. Hello, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay. Come back, come back. Here's what I think Paul's saying. He's saying, I feel like I came into the world at the wrong time. I came into the world at the wrong time, Jesus. I had my experience of you at the wrong, I was like, I was like untimely born. Because Jesus, if you had revealed yourself earlier, I probably would not have killed Christians. I would not have dragged your brothers and sisters into prison cells and in, 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 into chains and I would have not have killed people if only you'd revealed yourself earlier. And it's really, really important if you want to understand grace. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever felt like, I feel like I came into the world at the wrong time. I was born into the wrong family. I feel like, Lord, why was I born into that situation that has created so much fallout in my life and I've hurt so many people because of it? Why, Lord, did I come to Christ later on in life after I had left a wreckage of dead bodies in my life only then to be saved and discover my need for Jesus? Why was I untimely born, God? And then you read it and you realize what Paul's doing is he's actually saying, now I can lift up grace and say, because it's by, this is the way to show the grace of God. It is by grace that I'm an apostle. Not because I was born at the right time or I'm the right guy or I have the right cognitive faculties or I'm a really spiritual person. I'm an apostle because of one thing and one thing only, God's grace. And can I tell you something? You are a follower of Jesus because of one thing and one thing only, God's grace that he injected into your heart. Amen? Amen. Amen. And for the rest of your life, no matter how much you have behind you, you can proclaim Jesus and you can say, my life is about God's grace. About God's grace. To proclaim it. Shout it from the mountaintops. And River West, that's, that's what we do as a church every time we gather. When we gather, we proclaim the good news. We learn it. We guard it. And then we experience the joy of it and the grace of it. And every single Sunday, I need the gospel preached to my heart because I never run out of my need for grace. And then we go out into the world and we share it in our community. And I'm really thankful that you're a part of it. And so I'm going to say a prayer for you. And the worship team is going to come and lead, lead us. Will you bow your heads?
our Father. We love you so much, Lord. And we thank you for the pure truth of the gospel. This this announcement from your heart, God, about what you have done through Jesus. And it's 100% true. And we receive it in faith and we want to build our lives around it. And we pray, God, that we would never bore of it in a culture that's addicted to novelty, addicted to the next new thing. May we stand like a stalwart as a church and hold on to and rejoice and celebrate in the pure truth of the gospel. May we proclaim it, Lord, and may it touch our hearts and our lives. We pray. I'm so thankful for friends who have come today and they're hearing grace for the first time and realizing I need the message of Jesus in my life. I feel like I'm hearing the kind of news that's about to change my life forever. If that's you, it's a wonderful day for you to be here. I want to encourage you, this next song that we sing, will you sing it from your heart as if you believe every word and believe every word? And if you do, you're becoming a Christian. So Jesus, we give our lives to you. We honor you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.